Welcome back. When many people think back to last week's inauguration, the first thing they think about is not President Biden's speech, nor is it Bernie Sanders, whose outfit became an instant meme. They think first of Amanda Gorman and her poem, The Hill We Climb. Let's take a listen to part of it now. If we're to live up to our own time, then victory won't lie in the blade, but in all the bridges we've made. That is the promised glade, the hill we climb, if only we dare it. Because being American is more than a pride we inherit. It's the past we step into and how we repair it. We've seen a force that would shatter our nation rather than share it would destroy our country if it meant delaying democracy. And this effort very nearly succeeded. But while democracy can be periodically delayed, it can never be permanently defeated. Amanda Gorman reading The Hill We Climb at last week's presidential inauguration. Joining me to discuss the intersection of poetry and politics are two local poets, E. Ethelbert Miller is a literary activist. He's the author of two memoirs and several poetry collections, including If God Invented Baseball. He has two forthcoming books, When Your Wife Has Tommy John's Surgery and Other Baseball Stories, and the other is called The Little Book of E. E. Ethelbert Miller is anything but little. He is a giant of poetry in this region. Ethelbert, welcome. I can't hear you, but Presumably you can hear me, and I will soon be hearing you. Also joining us is Marjan Naderi, poet, educator, and the 2020 D.C. Youth Poet Laureate. Marjan, can you hear me? I can hear you indeed. How are you, Kojo? Glad you could hear me, and we should be hearing from Ethelbert pretty soon. Marjan, what was your reaction to Amanda Gorman's poem? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So Amanda and I are actually from the same Youth Poet Laureate program with Urban Aware based in Washington, uh, New York. And I've been familiar with her work for a little while now. And first and foremost, I give her major props for not only being um, the first Youth Poet Laureate, but also being a black woman who is serving with that position. Um, And in the space that she had at the inauguration, um, I think she did a really beautiful job of intertwining and weaving the truth of our democracy in the state that it is currently in um, and bringing hope forward into our hearts to, to hold on to and latch on to as we move forward under this new rule. Um, what is your view of the relationship between poetry and politics, Marja? Yeah, um, I think this conversation always... Uh, brings up so much for um, a lot of Americans who are writing and they're... Oh, we seem to be losing Marjan, but as luck would have it, E. Ethelbert Miller is with us now. Ethelbert, thank you for joining us. Thank you for the invitation, Kojo. Ethelbert, what was your response to Amanda Gorman's poem? How does it compare to the works of past poets who read their work at presidential inaugurations? Well, you know, Kojo, I, I wrote the following a few days ago, and, and I wrote, We are a country in need of believers in truth. And so a woman takes center stage, recites a poem. We first see her blackness and then her age. She is standing on sacred ground, and so her words are holy. She has climbed to this height so that we might not simply see, but listen. Our nation divided once again. Our soldiers standing before us. She is our Whitman now our witness to our ugliness, 
for believing in our beauty. Those are the words I said, and then I was very thankful for Amanda Gorman for writing her poem. Why is it that the other poem that stand out, stands out most for me, and I know a lot of us, was Maya Angelou at uh, Bill Clinton's inauguration? Well, the reason for that is because we don't remember Miller Williams' poem of History and Hope in 1997. Um, and we don't really remember uh, Richard Blanco's poem. Um, and we go back and remember Walt Whitman, I mean, Robert Frost, because he was, the sun was in his eye during Kennedy administration. But I think when we look at um, Maya Angelou and also Amanda Gorman, it's performance as well as poetry. Okay, I tell people that, you know, Maya Angelou could have read the phone book and people would have still got excited because <laughs> she comes out of that new ensemble company. She knows how to enunciate, you know, that Paul Robeson tradition. And I think Amanda, Amanda Gorman, you know, um, is a young writer that we see many writers who are dealing with spoken word, you know, who are not just going to stand there and, and recite a poem. They're going to move their body. They're going to move their hands. And so what happens is I think Amanda Gorman uh, is a, a writer in the tradition of, of um, you know, Maya Angelou. But when I went back and looked at all of the poems, okay, Robert Frost, Maya Angelou, Elizabeth Alexander, Richard Blanco, Mill Williams, Amanda Gorman, I go back to Elizabeth Alexander, praise song for the day. When I sat back and read that poem again, I said, oh, wow, this is really beautiful, okay? And, and, and mm -hmm. I got something more than what I got out from when she recited it at um, Obama's inauguration. And that has a lot to say about poetry. Sometimes we hear it or we read it, and we have to go back again to fully appreciate it. What do you see, Ethelbert, as the relationship when it occurs between poetry and politics? I think any time somebody steps outside their door, especially if they're black, <laughs> they're dealing with politics. <laughs> That's how you have to navigate the world. Now, if, whether you want to put it into rhyme or reason, <laughs> you know, that, that draws on the poetry in you. But what happens is that, you know, this is a conversation that I think even Marjorie would say. It's an ongoing conversation between art and politics. And what happens within our country, we try to keep it sometimes separate because we want the artist to have that freedom. We don't want that person to be told what to say, and we don't want to be sometimes talked or dictated to. So what happens is that we look for art to be something which is where we can find our freedom and our discovery. And so what happens, we want to give the artist that, that space. But because of the times that we live in, and this gets into Amanda Gorman, the poet has to rise to the occasion. He or she has to provide that vision for the community. So when we look at these inauguration poems, we see the poet speaking to the land and to the people. And that's something that is very important, especially if the country is divided. Marjan Naderi is back with us. Marjan, you have written a lot about being an Afghan-American and about being a Muslim. How do politics and activism influence your work? You know, everybody who knows Ethelbert knows that he started out as an activist. But how about you? Yeah, um, well... I think it's really important to reiterate that any American that is living on the soil and participating in this democracy um, is born, you know, with that conversation of being equal, starting at that equal ground, and also working their way up and having the opportunity to um, achieve equal worth as well. Um, and as someone who has been in this country since my birth um, and has carrying has been carrying these other identities, I've seen that it's difficult to carry myself with both identities fully as both an American, as an Afghan, as a Muslim. 
Um, but my writing has been the vessel and the tool that I use to not only heal those aspects that have once broken, but also empower other elements and other people in my community and bringing light to those voices. So often um, we we forget that we are carrying an entire nation on our backs as first generations. Um, and when we have these poems, these documents that can not only reiterate our existence, but also become the tool for others to learn of and support us, um, it, it does, it, it carries into everything we then do. Um, and with Amanda Gorman's poem, I think she did a really brilliant job of unifying the people rather than, uh, you know, going back to the role of the past four years and specifically pointing them out. Um, and she became all of America in that poem. And I did feel connected to her, intertwined in that piece while she read it. And so I give her major props for that as well. Um, and as someone who has been writing in the political scene. Um... Uh-oh. Marjan seems to have departed uh, temporarily, I can assure you, again. But I'd like to pick up with you, Ethelbert Miller, because President Joe Biden's inauguration address focus on unity and Amanda Gorman's poem had similar themes. Um, do you see, especially in the politically divisive times in which we now live, do you see poetry playing a role in either A, bringing us together, or B, giving us a deeper understanding of the process we're involved in? I think it does, and and I like the fact that you know you selected a younger writer because that echoes what we saw happening in our streets last year. Young people becoming into the political process, young people concerned about Black Lives Matter, young people you know registering their vote. So we we saw that, and I think sometimes we forget, especially with our poets, if we look at Langston Hughes, many of the poems that we celebrate in terms of thanking Langston Hughes is written when he was very young. Okay, so that should not be forgotten. And we shouldn't, we shouldn't overlook the fact that we talk about somebody being young. Well, how young was Julian Bond, John Lewis? How young was Martin Luther King when he was, uh, you know, in Montgomery, Alabama? That is something that what we realize is that every generation, young people move to the forefront and they change America because they believe in America. Here now is Susan in Washington, D.C. Susan, you're on the air. Go ahead, please. Oh, I don't think we can pick up Susan at this point. I'll try to get Susan on the line later on, and hopefully we'll have Marjan back with us pretty soon also. Ethelbert, I said earlier that uh, everybody who knows you knows that you began as an activist, but you are still an activist. You're a literary activist. Exactly. Explain to our audience exactly what that means. Being a literary activist today means I put an emphasis on promotion and preservation. You know, I, over the years, I've always promoted writers. I always felt it was a need to take time away from your own work to promote a person in terms of writing letter recommendation, doing a book blurb, providing at one time for me in, in the city a, a reading for others, you know, with my Ascension series. But then later on, you know, in terms of this point now, I'm very much concerned about preservation. You know, what documents are we keeping? What rights are we remembering? You know, whether it's Owen Dodson, whether it's Joni Brown. Um, I talked to writers today in terms of what are they going to do with their, their libraries? You know, I've been, you know, giving some of my personal collections for writers who I feel have promised and these books will be helpful to them in their development as it was for mine. And so that thing in terms of being a literary activist is that caring the same way you would be caring about your community or the environment, you care about for other writers. I should mention that one of the reasons we and everybody else seems to be having problems is that there's apparently a major outage 
on the East Coast, a major internet outage on the East Coast. So that is um, what accounts for some of the problems we're having. But I think I can speak now with Susan in Washington, D.C. Susan, you're on the air. Go ahead, please. Hello there. I am both a poet in the District of Columbia and an activist, political activist in the District of Columbia. And going back a long ways, Marion Barry asked me to read a poem for him at his second inaugural, which was great. Most exciting, and if you'd like to hear it, I'd I, I was about to, to say, is it, is it a long poem? I'll give you the shorter half of it. Thank you, Susan. <laughs> Picture it now. Tendrils of green curling, spreading through the city, growing stronger because we care to help those who have waited a year of nights. Where will we find all those who come? What am I saying? I tell you that God hears the prayers of the poor. The daily walkers of the line, those who suffer, sidewalks, slaps of the heart, and you have brought new hope where it has not been seen before, and redemption is cast to the heavens a thousand times, a thousand thousand hands lifting in praise, ballots rising into the night air like stars to wish on, glowing where no light shone before, and the Powerball isn't the only way to win anymore. Be a winner. Know you're someone, pass your help around like French fries and lipstick among friends, like a goodwill collection just in time, like voting for the first time, double Dutch dare to call your name. We can rise from terrors and doubts, from days of pinch and nights and men that surely mean no good to us, and swing into song because God loves the prodigal, and so do we, because that's who we are, each of us and stronger in the knowing, and we know that we too stand by the well and wait to, for someone who cares to bring us water. Susan, thank you very much for sharing that poem with us. Did, did Mayor Barry enjoy it? He sure did. <laughs> okay, good. Thank you very much. Ethelbert, how has your writing changed since the coronavirus pandemic started? I changed in a number of ways. It made me more aware of, of terms of loss, uh, it made me also aware of how to deal with solitude. Uh, I started last year writing a lot of haiku, which, you know, immediately connected me to, you know, um, things happening in my backyard. I was connected to nature, paying more attention to the squirrels and birds. Uh, but it was a time of reflection. And um, because of, you know, the confinement, you know, I, I thought a lot about my brother, who um, passed away a number of years ago. But my brother, when he was very young, entered um, a Trappist monastery. And, and I said, well, okay, if this is what he was going to do for his life, I can get through a pandemic, you know. <laughs> and so I drew upon that, um, you know, for inspiration, you know. And, and, I, and I connect that to something that you, we just saw, you know. Uh, my friend Jimmy Raskin lost his son, you know, mm -hmm. and he sort of committed himself to dealing with his impeachment, okay. That's how he would honor his son's memory, and that would give his life meaning. And I felt, you know, going through this pandemic, not knowing how long it was going to last, the fact that I could go back and I had uh, uh, an example within my own family of a person who made the decision to take a vow that this is how I'm going to live, uh, mm -hmm. I found that to be um, something of uh, considerable inspiration. Uh, I've heard that you've been working on haikus since the pandemic began. Tell us about your forthcoming poetry collection called The Little Book of E. 
Well, the little book of E, in a little while, I will be doing a, a, a talk to uh, faculty and students at the Hebrew College of Massachusetts. Um, the little book of E, it's, it's 50 of my haiku um, uh, in English, translated into Hebrew, and it's with my friend Robbie Ellison, uh, who's doing the translation. He's going to be interviewing me later on, on this afternoon. Uh, we have a conversation. And um, I've been fascinated by how, you know, these poems and poetry in general brings people and communities um, together. And so the collaboration is one I'm very excited about. Marjan Nader is back with us. Marjan, the last time we spoke with you was right before the pandemic began, when you had just become the 2020 D.C. Youth Poet Laureate. What was your year as D.C.'s Youth Poet Laureate supposed to look like, and how did it change because of the pandemic? Yeah, um, that's always a heartbreaking question. <laughs> um, but beforehand, we had a lot of um, conversations planned around, you know, really uplifting our communities and honing in on what does community service and work look like. Um, and so we have started a few initiatives with the Board Speech and Life and their resources, uh, hoping to gear some more funds being raised for children in Afghanistan and having those education, educational facilities built. Um, that was one awesome project that we were looking forward to. And then we were also going to be touring Plus Boys and Poets and doing some poems and um, hopefully traveling across America and just hosting different workshops at uh, different schools, primarily public middle schools. Um, and so we didn't get to do all of those things, but I did manage my way around getting um, some of the work I wanted to do online. And so I worked really closely with DC Scores, bringing poetry and helping students document their time at home um, and a lot of just online poetry events. And one of the highlights of my entire 2020 as a poet laureate was the Strathmore Creative Forces Monuments, where they had honored six different artists in the area um, and had actually carved our faces into massive trees um, as, as a monument for the public to come and see with light projectors and everything. Um, but I think the most heartwarming thing was really to see young poets being highlighted at the inauguration um, and seeing that the entire umbrella of what it means to be a poet is now being opened for young people to move forward with um, as we open this new avenue and, and also owning our voices and owning our narratives when moving forward. Um, and hopefully now my fingers are crossed for the book that is coming out under the Urban Word program for my Youth Poet Laureate program, um, and that should be coming out next year. So some very exciting things. <laughs> <laughs> Here now is Brady in Charlottesville, Virginia. Brady, your turn. Hi, uh, and I've um, watched, like uh, a lot of people, the inauguration and Amanda Gorman's recitation and was blown away by them the other day. Uh, at the same time, I noticed afterwards that uh, everywhere I looked in the press, um, every everything that was said about the poem was positive. And whenever everybody is saying the same thing, um, I get a little suspicious. And so I come from a written poetry background. And as I looked back at the poem, I couldn't notice that there were some features of it that if they'd been in a written poem um, might not have gotten the adulation that they got when they were spoken. Um, uh, uh, cliches, platitudes, bromide, there, there are things that, that one would be maybe less likely to do if the poem were written. And I'm wondering if there is space for spoken poetry to be critique or if or if it's kind of anything goes. Ethelbert? 
Well, you know, I think more than the spoken written is when you have to write a poem for an occasion. I've only done that once in my life where, you know, you have a deadline. You also realize that you're going to have a poem that you're reciting in public as opposed to, you know, a silent reading in private. And so what happens, I realized that, you know, it was a different type of poem. Uh, and I'm happy I did it because it wound up being a poem that I wrote in the memory of Oscar Romero, you know, the mm-hmm. guy who was killed in, in um, El Salvador. And so what happens is that the things that you would do with a poem because you're going to present it, especially in a, in a, in a public arena, um, it's, it's a different thing. I, I, I love the fact that a man had to probably deal with first, oh, they're inviting me to read the poem at the inauguration. <laughs> then second, what am I going to do? You know, then who am I going to call? What, if, what am I going to draw upon? What am I going to research? And then you still have to perform it. Okay? You still have to perform it. Unless, like, for example, if I gave you the sheet music to my favorite thing, do you think that's what John Coltrane's playing? No. Okay? <laughs> and you give your poet that license because it's going to be a public. And when I look at the sheet music, if I look at it now, we're going to workshop Amanda's poem in an in a, in a MFA program. So, okay, I might say, well, the wordplay here is a little technical. But no, what we're looking at, what was the poem for? What was she asked to do? Okay, and then I got to give, you know, Jill Biden as much credit as I would give Vajra Lindsay for discovering, you know, Langston Hughes of the Warman Hotel. <laughs> Dr. Biden heard Amanda and gave her an opportunity and promote her work. You can't ask for anything better than that. And this is some of the things we have to be celebratory. We can be critical. You know, I mean, if you want to be critical of Amanda Gorman's work, then, then read all of the poems that were given in inauguration. Okay, and begin with Robert Frost. Who, for, who, because of some of his eye, couldn't read the poem that he wanted to, 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 to read. And so he recited a poem from memory to get that right. Okay, so it shows you that, okay, he, he combined both. He came with a poem, a written poem, couldn't read it, and so he fell back on memory. Fascinating. Marjan, you have won various poetry slam competitions. So talk about this, the difference between what we see on the page and the performance of it. Yeah, so, I mean, there's a lot of conversation that comes around the the idea of being a page poet or a performance poet. Um, But with this specific moment, this specific event, um, first and foremost, it's important to know that this poem is for all of America and not just the writers who sit in the room enjoying reading and critiquing. Um, This poem was meant to be available and accessible and digestible for all of America, and that's including our beautiful American cliches, right? Um, and, And she made room for those things. And secondly, she did an incredible, an incredible job of becoming a vessel for the poem. When Amanda was reading her work, it wasn't Amanda reading a poem. It was the poem reading Amanda. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, and that's what we want to see when we do see poetry becoming the forefront, taking the spotlight, especially in the conversation Gotta. of politics, right? We're, we're, yes. we're depersonalizing this work, and we're allowing it to exist on its own body, on its own two feet. Taking Got it. Got to interrupt because we're almost out of time. Um, but Marjan Naderi, hopefully the next time you come along, we won't have technical difficulties. difficulties. Marjan Naderi, thank you so much for joining us. And E. Ethelbert Miller, thank you for joining us. This discussion on poetry and politics was produced by Sidney Grannon. And our conversation on what President Biden's executive orders mean for LGBTQ locals was produced by Ines Renike. Coming up tomorrow, officials across the region are pushing schools to reopen and D.C plans to bring some students back next week. D.C. Schools Chancellor Lewis Ferby joins us to discuss how safety concerns will be addressed. That all starts at noon tomorrow. Until then, thank you for listening and stay safe. I'm Kojo Nandi.
The Kojo Nomdi Show is produced by Julie Deppenbrock, Sydney Grannon, Lauren Marco, Kurt Gardiner, Richard Cunningham, and Ines Renike. Our managing producer is Ingelisa Schulbsdorf. Our broadcast engineer is Rashad Young. Today's engineer was Mike Kidd. For past shows and more content, visit kojoshow.org. Thanks for listening to The Kojo Namdi Show, and if you're already a member of WAMU 88.5, thank you for your support. If not, it's easy to give online at wamu.org. Just click the Donate button, and thanks.